Charlotte Polis was a 28-year-old married mother of two from Girard, Ohio. On March 11, 1994, she had an ear infection so bad she had to go to the hospital. The next day, her mother called Charlotte at home, but Charlotte's husband claimed she was asleep in bed. Later, the husband left with their children. When they came home, Charlotte was gone. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. As you're probably getting to realize as you listen to Unfound, and I know some of you have known this for a long time, real-life mysteries don't usually play out like fictional ones. Well-known mystery authors like Agatha Christie, Sue Grafton, Arthur Conan Doyle, they certainly do leave a lot more clues for their main characters than detectives get in real life. You want some proof? I'll name off just some cases we've covered on Unfound so far. Suzanne Lyle, Jason Jolkowski, Andrea Bowman, Christopher Hyde, and I could go on. They vanish off the face of the earth. And in fact, if those fictional detectives became real, they'd probably have as much trouble figuring out what happened in these cases as much as the real detectives do. But this episode's case is different. You're going to hear things that you'll usually only find in a detective novel. Footprints. A bulging door. A bloodied blanket a crooked government official, and a likely suspect. But still, 23 years later, this case is still unsolved. I'm hoping, maybe, just maybe, you can be the person who gives Charlotte's family the answers they deserve. And maybe you can become a real-life Miss Marple, Sherlock Holmes, or Columbo. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Good's site, charlieproject.org. Charlotte was ill with an acute ear infection on March 11, 1994. Her husband, Paul Polis, took her to the hospital for treatment that evening while his parents cared for their two children at their residence in Girard, Ohio. Paul's family departed when the couple returned sometime later and Charlotte called her mother. Charlotte's mother phoned her daughter at approximately 8.50 a.m. on March 12th, the following morning. Paul answered and told her Charlotte was still sleeping. He told authorities that she awoke shortly thereafter, and he said he told her to rest. Paul said he took their children with him while he ran errands. He claimed that they stopped at the pharmacy, the laundromat, a scrapyard, and a fast food restaurant before driving around the neighborhood to look at houses for sale. Paul stated that they returned home at approximately 4 p.m. He discovered that Charlotte was not there and assumed she was feeling better and went out. Paul said he became concerned at approximately 7.30 that evening. He called several friends to inquire as to her whereabouts. None of them knew where she was. She was never seen again. According to her family, Charlotte had been acting as if she felt troubled just before her disappearance. She asked her brother to take care of her children if anything happened to her. There is no known history of violence in the Paulus marriage. However, Charlotte's family believes she was the victim of foul play and Paul was involved in her disappearance. 
The interview for this episode is with Ali Neji, the brother of Charlotte Polis. He also happens to be a former reserve deputy for Trumbull County in Ohio. And now the unfound housekeeping items. You can find this podcast on Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. In fact, you'll be noticing some changes there starting this week. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can find the program on Podomatic and iTunes. And I would appreciate it if you think the show deserves it. Please give it a five-star review at iTunes. You can find this program on Facebook. It's the Unfound Discussion Group. It's a private group right now. And come join the conversation, although I will tell you that we will be starting a public Facebook page very shortly. And please tell your friends and family about the program and mention the show if you frequent places like WebSleuths, Reddit, the page podcast we listen to on Facebook, and any other true crime forums and websites. And now, unfound news. I don't want to give away too much right at this point, but in a few weeks, we're going to be featuring a case that is the oldest unsolved missing persons case in a particular state. Like I said, I don't want to give too much away right at this second. I'm not going to tell you what state it is. I can tell you this. The case is almost 50 years old. What's also interesting about this particular disappearance is that a listener of Unfound has become an expert on this case. He is going to be the guest, and not only that, he has managed to track down a family member of this person who disappeared, and they're both going to appear on that episode. Also, Unfound Now has an Instagram account. I hope you'll check it out. I plan to post pictures there regarding past cases and future cases. And lastly, I'm still looking for a logo for the show. I want to change it up, something new, something I can copyright. I've gotten a few submissions, but nothing has really caught my fancy yet, just to be honest. So if you're an artist or you know an artist, feel free to submit me a very rough sketch of what you think the new Unfound logo should be. You can email me it at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. I will, of course, give you credit for it. I will make it monetarily worth your while. And if you are an artist, it might be something nice to have on your resume that you did the logo of a very prominent and popular true crime podcast. Now that we have all of that out of the way, I now present to you my interview with Ali Neji, the brother of Charlotte Polis. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the brother of Charlotte Neji Polis, Ali Neji. Ali, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I appreciate this very much. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about Charlotte. Charlotte was a uh, very outgoing, uh, loving, caring uh, person. She was a uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful sister. I know a lot of people say that about their family members, but uh, uh, speaking on, on behalf of my sister, uh, she she was one of the most loving and caring persons that uh, I had really ever come across. Uh, Charlotte was uh, vibrant. She was funny. Uh, she she liked to bake. I mean, she baked galore, crafts. Uh, she was a very 
very family-oriented uh, young girl growing up. Um, and she would do anything for anybody, uh, basically give her shirt off her back. She was a people pleaser. And she, was she your older sister or your younger sister? She was my older sister. She was about uh, a little, maybe a year and a couple months older than me. So would you say that she was protective of you being the younger brother, or were you? do you think that you were more protective of her growing up? Uh, I was more protective of her. I can recall uh, we went to school together. I, I, I can recall an incident I just real funny off the top of my head. We were in study hall one time, and uh, this one, one, one gentleman, he, he was a uh, school bully, and uh, we were in study hall, and he spit on my sister, and uh, I jumped up out of the chair, and we got taken out into the hallway. And uh, I just, I, I literally, I just took the guy down. I mean, he was, I, at the time, I, I was about six foot one, 180 pounds, and he was about five eleven, 450 pounds. Oh my! And I, I, I wasn't playing around. I just, I, I took him out. I think it was within a couple swings. Nicely done, Ali. Uh, did you did your family go on any vacations? I mean, what is a a moment you think of uh, your sister, uh, like a nice time in your life that comes to your mind when you think of her? Oh, there's several different ones. Uh, uh, one time, my father uh, and us we, we went to uh, Niagara Falls, and uh, I remember we would walk around by the falls and the bridal fall of Niagara Falls, and then there used to be a uh, a little staircase you could go. I remember real vaguely walk down these stairs, and right by the falls, down down around uh, in the Canada side, there was a, a store, and uh, there were chairs and uh, stuff set up, uh, tables outside. We would get lunch and sit there and joke around and, and just have a good old time. And then uh, we used to go to New York City a lot, visit family and everything, and go to Statue of Liberty and just parade around and, and just, you know, have have good old times, just just like siblings. You know, we yeah. we uh, we pretty much did everything together. Um, How many siblings did you have, Ollie? There was a total of six of us. I had uh, there was me, I have three other brothers, and, uh, and another sister that's still surviving. And then there were Charlotte, so there were six of us in total, and uh, my mom and dad. Wow, that's a big family. And where where did you fall in the number of the where did she fall I should say in the number of the oldest to the youngest? Charlotte was the firstborn, and then uh, I was the secondborn. Wow, you were the two oldest. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the time? Let's move on to this. Do you remember the time that she brought Paul Polis home as a as a boyfriend? Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember when uh, she had. Uh, brought Paul to the house uh, the first time. He actually, uh, from uh, Howland, he rode his bike uh, to our house to uh, be with Charlotte. And that's a pretty long, pretty long bike ride. Uh, in a car from, from my parents' house where he lived with his parents would have been a good 25, 30-minute minute car ride. And uh, he, he had rode his bike to the house. And... Uh, she had introduced him to us, and uh, I didn't like the guy from day one. I told him to his face I didn't like him. From day one. What year uh, would this have been, or approximately what age would Charlotte have been at the time? It was right around, I want to say it was roughly uh, around 85, 
So about nineteen eighty five. Okay. How did they yeah, meet? Do you they how did, did they meet? Did they meet at school or? No, they met. Um, I believe it was through a friend. I could be wrong. What do you think that she saw in Paul? Being that you didn't like him the first time you met him, what do you think that she saw in him? Um, I think she saw that he was uh, a nice guy, and uh, I, they just uh, they seem to have got along uh, uh, pretty good as, from when they were dating and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what she really saw in him, uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. I, I know... Uh, she just liked him. I, I don't know if it was the way he, he... He was like two different type of people, to be honest with you. The more you got to know him at first, he seemed like this loving, caring gentleman mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, try to fan for her and want to be with her and, and everything. And then I noticed later on, as they progressed, he started becoming more dominant, more controlling uh, of her, you know. Yeah. From the dating process into the engagement and into the marriage. Uh, what year did they get married? I want to say I want to say ninety when she got married. Okay. So she was approximately married approximately four years uh, when she disappeared. What do you remember about the marriage? I mean, you already said that he became controlling, but uh, did Charlotte ever talk about uh, ever being hit? Were the police ever called to her house or anything like that that you know of? What happened with the marriage is uh, I remember several times my father would come to where I worked. I, I worked in a lumber yard at the time, uh, and my father would always uh, make little remarks like he told, I would tell you, your sister, you know, she's always welcome to come home, and she needs to leave this guy. And, and mm-hmm. I told my dad I'd, I'd have a talk with him, see what's going on and whatnot. Um, Paul was... Uh, he was, I don't know how long were uh, During the marriage, he, he like, he kind of controlled everything. He didn't work. He, he, he lived on welfare. He tried, he tried uh, opening up his own landscaping business and everything. Uh, Paul, was, Paul was into to marijuana and stuff. I know for a fact back then, okay. when I was going through the uh, police academy, uh, I pulled into my dad's one night and he had some marijuana plants in the back of his pickup truck and I got into it in the living room with him uh, right at, right after class the, the one night and uh, mm. I told him specifically, I said, I'm going to tell you right now I said, uh, I had my handcuffs and stuff on me I stopped to my parents, I was showing them some of the things we were doing in class and I told, I told Paul, I said, if you don't knock this off, I said, once I graduate you're the first one I'm coming after yeah, and, and he, he didn't like that too much. I, I suppose he didn't. I suppose he didn't. So this is probably something that was tough for Charlotte too. I mean, you she probably knew you I, two weren't getting along, right? No, uh, it wasn't so much. Uh, I don't think that bothered her so much. Mm. fact, I, I think what it was, I, I think Charlotte had thought that she would uh, was going to be able to change him. So we get to. Were you ever worried about Charlotte's safety? I mean, I know you didn't like Paul, but were you ever truly worried about his safety, her safety, when the, those two were married? No, I, I wasn't until the uh, one night uh, shortly before she came up missing. I want to say within a couple of weeks. I think it was a month before she came up missing. She had called my wife and I 
and asked us if we would uh, bring her a um, Dairy Queen. Mm. And so uh, we, we went over there. It was close, to, I want to say it was close to 9.30, because I remember the Dairy Queen closed at 10 o'clock. So we grabbed some Dairy Queen and went over there, and uh, uh, the babies were sleeping, because at the time she had the two kids. Yeah. And uh, we were eating, we were sitting in the living room, and Paul was nowhere around. I don't know where he was at. And she started talking and everything, and uh, just out of clear blue, she, she, my sister sold uh, Princess House Crystal. And she had two huge suitcases of the crystal and stuff. But I'll get to that in a minute here. So we were talking and eating the ice cream. And this had a clear blue. She said, can I ask, uh, Holly, can I ask you and Bonnie a question? I was like, sure, Charlotte, what? She said, if uh, anything ever happens to me, would you take my kids and raise them for me? I was like, where the heck that come from? I said, is, uh, is Paul hitting you or anything? I said, if so, let me know. I said, where he, is, is he upstairs? Is he beating on you? Because I'll, I'll go upstairs and, and just give him a good old-fashioned backhand whipping if you want. And she's like, no, 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 I'm just saying, you know, if anything happens, would you be willing to take the kids and, and raise them or whatever? I said, sure, I'd do that in a heartbeat. You wouldn't even have to, you know, whatever. And at the time, I wasn't thinking that. I thought maybe if he was hitting on her, and then, uh, and then I started thinking, well, maybe she's talking about, you know, doing up a will or, or whatever, you know, how people, you know, if, if something should happen to us, would you take the kids and raise them? So that's, that's kind of like what was going through my mind. Right. And then, uh, and then she said, well, she goes, if anything happens to me, will you take those two suitcases of, of crystal that are upstairs for me, uh, Princess House crystals, and eventually either give them to my kids or sell them and give them the money from them and let them know that was from their mother. I was like, yeah, sure. I said, but why are you even talking like this? I said, is he hitting you? Is he is he doing? Is he abusing you? Because, like like I said, I'll go upstairs and take care of this real quick. And uh, she was like, no, no, no. I'm just saying in general. And I couldn't tell because you know she she always wore long sleeves or whatever. So I don't I don't know if he was actually beating her or, or not. But the more I think about, it, I'm, I'm thinking there had to be something going on behind closed doors that, that we weren't aware of. The, so we get to the night before. She went to the hospital, didn't she? Yes. Uh, that was. We were actually supposed to go out for my birthday. Uh, we were supposed to go out and have a couple of drinks and some dinner and everything. And uh, earlier that morning, that Saturday morning, uh, she had contacted my wife and said she wasn't feeling good. And, uh, you know, she'd have to uh, go out with us on another night. We said, that was fine, you know, no, no big deal. And then uh, my wife and I proceeded. We went out and had a couple of drinks and something to eat and what, and what have you. And then we came home. It was about uh, a little after midnight or so, somewhere I want to say, right around that area. And uh, my wife was listening to the answering machine tape. And uh, I, w- I was a little tipsy, so I didn't pay too much mind to it. And then next thing I know, she had and got my mom and dad, and they went driving around all over town looking for Charlotte. And the next morning, I got up, and she said, listen, she goes, you need to listen to this answer machine tape that Paul left. She goes, well, they can't find your sister. But so, this was the morning after, but she had gone to the hospital the, the night before for an ear infection. Yeah, she went in the night before for, uh, well, it was diagnosed as an ear infection. They gave her some antibiotics to get her through the night, and then the next day, uh he was supposed to go get the prescriptions filled, and uh, but the prescriptions were never filled. Okay, so he never went. Right. 
What does Paul say happened on March 12th, that Saturday, that Charlotte disappeared? On March 12th, when Charlotte uh, disappeared, Paul said that he was out running errands and he went to get a prescription filled, went and had the bedroom comforter washed, uh, took the kids to McDonald's, went to the scrapyard. Then he claims he went around driving around looking for houses for sale. Then he went home and started cleaning up. And then around 7.30 that evening, Paul stated that her purse and medicine were still on the fireplace mantel. It was never touched. Her coat and shoes were still by the doorway. And he didn't know where his wife was. Just so we're clear, the, the Charlotte and her husband only owned one car, so it wasn't like she could have jumped in her own car and left. Uh, so the only other possibility, unless she went out and started walking around in, in her, her in her town or neighborhood there, is that somebody came and picked her up. That's the only other possibility, right? Exactly. Right. So he calls. So he calls, and what message does he leave for you and your parents? He left a message on my answering machine tape, stating that, "Hey guys." Uh, I was out running around doing some errands and stuff, and I got home, and I was just wondering if Charlotte's not here, if she was out with you guys, or where she could be. Uh, I'm really starting to get freaked out. I don't know what's going on. I've called everybody looking for her, and I can't find her. If she's with you guys, can you please give me a call and let me know. This is, I'm really starting to get freaked out. And what did, what did the, your family do at that time? At that time... My, well, uh, during Saturday, the back of my mom kept calling and mm. nobody was answering okay. the service house. Right. And so she had called her sister who lived down the road to go check. And her sister went to Charlotte's house, was found on the door and everything. Nobody would answer the door or anything. So then Sunday came. All right. And your siblings showed up at the house, right? Uh, yes. My brother, my sister, my mother and father went to the house and they were talking with Paul and everything. And he was getting agitated and so, so on and so forth. And that was on Sunday. But and and Paul's parents were already there, weren't they? Yes, they were already there. And uh, there are some interesting things that your siblings noted while they were there. What were some of the things that they saw? Well, on that particular weekend, there was we had a light dusting of snow. And my youngest sister had noticed two separate set of footprints going from the side door down the sidewalk and into the backyard where there was a shed. And uh, my brother and sister noticed that the doors on the shed were bulging out. And my brother asked where the, my sister asked where the keys for the shed were. And he said, there was none of their business. Don't worry about it. He started getting smart with them. And then they, they got in an argument and everything. And then it just proceeded uh, from that point. So nobody was able to ever open that shed. You never tried to figure out whose footprints those were in the, those were in the snow and what did the parents uh, of Paul seem to have done before your family got there? Well, they were they were there to 
watched the kids when he took her to the hospital, and they were cleaning. His mother was cleaning, and his dad was just like kind of like telling Paul basically what he could say and what not to say, and and just like trying to keep the conversation away from Paul. Mm-hmm. And then I think, if I'm not mistaken, my brother actually went with a uh, I don't know if it was a hammer or a hand, a hand axe and actually busted the uh, lock off the shed. I believe that was the next day. Yeah. And when he when he busted the lock off the shed, everything in the shed was thrown to the left side, and the whole right side was was like there's an empty space where you could tell there was something there, but the bulge wasn't in the door when they when he went back the next day and took the axe and busted the lock off. All right. So on Sunday when they showed up. Uh, the, the parents are cleaning the house. There's footprints in the snow going back to the shed. The door on this shed is bulging, but when they come back on Monday, that door on the shed is no longer bulging. Correct. Now, tell the listeners, who is or who was Paul's father? The, the parent that was there that day taking part in all this, what was Paul's father's position in Girard or in the county? County, his father, his father was the uh, assistant prosec- uh, the assistant uh, coroner uh, for the county in which we live. He was underneath the uh, assistant coroner underneath the controversial Joseph Sudamac, uh, and then that guy they did an investigation and everything. He wound up in trouble, and then his dad became the coroner. So he w- he had a doctor's license, like an MD or a PhDs. I think it was M- MD. If- my memory serves me correct. He had his own practice. Did the police eventually come over to the house? Yes. And tell the listeners about what happened there. They had talked to uh, Paul. Uh, they did take, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they did take pictures of the two sets of footprints uh, going out. And they talked to Paul. And uh, Paul was like giving them his alibi and basically what he left on my answering machine tape uh, and then they agreed to set up for him to go in and take the polygraph test mm-hmm. and and then uh, so they set that up and uh, Paul claimed he didn't have a ride so my brother said well I'll pick you up and take you so when my brother went and picked uh, Paul to take him for the polygraph test Paul was gone so Paul goes on the run and what what are you thinking at this time? What is your family thinking at this time? Uh, well, what I was thinking was that he was avoiding the police, and I was thinking he was trying to get out of state or trying to get away from having anything to do with law because, in my mind, I was thinking he knows he's, he's busted. Uh, so he left, uh, he left a note. Uh, my brother went to get him that morning to take him down to the station because he claimed he didn't have a ride. They had to take the polygraph test, and his mother told my brother, Paul left. He left a note. We don't know where he went. He left a note that, uh, that you know, he's sorry for everything that happened. He will answer for his uh, actions when he returns. And uh, he just went into seclusion for three months. Okay, do, to this day, do you have any idea where he went? Because we should tell the listeners, he eventually does come back. But in that time, do you have any idea where he was? 
nobody has any idea of where he was except for his attorney. Uh, I believe his attorney's name at that time was John Leopardo. And uh, he said that was uh, client privilege, and he didn't have to uh, let anybody know anything about that. Now, let's talk about the Girard Police Department and what the police did after Paul disappeared. Uh, what went on with the police coming over to the house after he disappeared? The uh, police came to the house and they, you know, went through the house, walked around, checked everything out, and uh, eventually they had um, BCI come in and... Uh, I got to call them in the middle of the night. There were people with flashlights and everything all over the house. So I contacted the detectives and they said BCI was there and they were doing some testing with luminol and everything. But what I found odd and, and, and kind of suspicious about the whole thing was Paul's father was allowed to be there, but nobody from my family was allowed to be there. And Paul's father had the right to tell BCI where they could spray and check for luminol and where they couldn't. Oh my. That just that that just does not sound possible. When did you find out that that actually went on? Did you find out that day or the day after or a, a long time later? When did your family find that out? I found out in the middle of the night. I got a phone call. Oh my. Uh, so I, I had a relative who didn't live too far down the road was uh, driving down and she had called and said, hey, there's a bunch of people with flashlights and everything searching the house and the car and everything like that and then that's when I called and found out that it was uh, BCI was there mm. and uh, his dad was there and he was telling them where they can and can't spray from them and all what they can do and so on and so forth uh, <clears throat> and that, that's how we found out that uh, they were doing uh, luminol testing in the house and you know, on her vehicle and even though they were limited on what they were allowed to do, I would say illegally taking orders from him, but um, did they find anything when they looked? Anything that really that stuck out to them, to your knowledge? What they, the, the one thing that I know for a fact that they found was in the trunk of the car. They found, uh, I believe it was two uh, splatters that PCI had, had checked. And it came back that of a human, not of not of an animal or species blood. Um, I was told that the uh, what they found was going to be frozen and preserved for future testing. And then when I had brought it up again, I was told the BCI accidentally destroyed it, and there wasn't enough to pull for DNA. And when I questioned that, I read the report and it said that it was frozen and saved for a future date. They basically denied that and said, no, it was destroyed by BCI and it, it wasn't preserved or frozen for future testing later on down the road. Oh, my. And people should remember this happened in 1994. So DNA testing was just becoming, it was in the very early stages of testing in 1994. Of course, We've come a long way in the last 20-some years, and if had they been able to save that, they would have been, been able to test that today to see if that was your sister's blood or not, right? Oh, absolutely, because uh, with DNA, I mean, it's evolved so, so much in the last 22 years that uh, just the tip of a, of a needle, a drop of blood from the, tip of, the size of the tip of a needle, they would be able to pull up everything mm -hmm. about 
that blood sample. Okay. But this is not the only shady police thing that happened. And I say this was all due respect to you because I know that you've been in law enforcement. All right, I just want you to understand that. But we have to put this information out there. You had told me at one point about some pictures of Paul that the police took of him, right? Yes. The, when I went down on that Sunday morning to the uh, police station, they had uh, had two Polaroid, two or four Polaroid pictures of Paul's arms. And um, I said, why does he have scratch marks from the elbows down to his wrist? And they said, well, Paul states that the hot water tank had broken the house and he was putting a new hot water tank in, and that's how he got the scratches. I said, well, we could go down to the house right now, and I'll show you that there's no hot water tank, new hot water tank installed. And then they said, well, then he said it was from when he was drywalling the attic, and uh, he got cut and scratched up, uh, putting drywall up on in, in the attic and everything. I said, well, that's a blatant lie. I said, because I'm the one that helped him drywall that attic and, and insulate it and everything. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, I said, if you take your four fingers and spread them apart as wide as you can, you put them on your elbow, and I took my right hand and put it on my left mm -hmm. arm. Yeah. And and demonstrate them. I said, those are signs of a struggle. Somebody was fighting fighting for whatever reason. I said, my sister was fighting, and that's how he got this scar. She, something happened, and she caught him. And, and that's, that's, if you look at it, that's how the, uh, the marks look on uh, on that arm, on that particular arm. And then uh, eventually, uh, someone come up, I don't remember when, it was sometime later, about the pictures and everything, and they didn't have them. They lost them. Yeah. Sometime, sometime between them taking pictures of Paul that Saturday or, son, or whenever it was, to the point somewhere down the road, they lost the picture. So no evidence of what Paul looked like at the time that his wife disappeared. Those pictures are gone. Uh, it, from what I was led to believe, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, you also took some pictures. When did you do this? Why did you do this? And what happened to those pictures? Well, I took the pictures, uh, I want to say it was about, Three weeks to a month later, because uh, Paul had take off, taken off into seclusion, mm -hmm. and uh, I went with my parents. Uh, we wanted to get some stuff for the. Well, my parents had the daughter, and his parents had the son, so we went to the house, uh, got some clothes and some stuff for uh, out of the pantry for the for the kids, and I had noticed like different things, so. I had talked to the chief of police, and I went down with my uh, camera, and I took pictures of what I believe were uh, blood splatters in the kitchen ceiling. Um, in the master bedroom, I took pictures of what appeared to be blood stains. They had a baby's bed at the end of the uh, master bed, and on the railing where the mattress was, I noticed some like uh, dried, faded red spot what appeared to be blood for me, so I took pictures of that. And I took pictures of underneath the mattress with one of her bracelets, which I found kind of odd. And then uh, I found a pillow on the couch that had, a, like, a blood stain on it. So I took pictures of that, and going out the back door, there were curtains on the back door. 
took pictures of what appeared to be bloodstains, splatters on the on the drapes covering the door. And then in the hutch, I they had when you came in the front door, there was there was a, a coat rack with the hutch underneath it. And when I had opened that up and everything, I pulled a blank out. There was a, a blanket that appeared to have like what I believe were blood splatters at the time as well. The pillow and the blanket I had. Uh, preserved and gave them to the police department. They put them in the evidence room. I gave them a set of the pictures as well. And then sometime later, those pictures came up missing again. Wow. So the, the pictures of Paul go missing and the pictures you took of the house or parts of the house uh, went missing as well with the police department. Exactly. Wow. And did this, do you know, do you remember, I know it's been 23 years, Ali, and so I'm probably uh, taxing your memory a little bit. Do you remember how many months, or was it a year later that they lost those pictures? Was it months later? I mean, how do you remember it? Uh, I want to say roughly, uh, I want to say maybe it was uh, around three months maybe four months later mm-hmm. uh, and I told him that's okay because I had double set made and not not thinking at the time because I was more concerned about my sister's case yes I gave him I gave them my copy oh no and I guess they apparently whether they lost him or they came up missing or what happened to him I don't know but last time I uh, checked they didn't, they didn't have any of that how did you how did you find out that those pictures went missing? Did somebody tell you or did you ask about them? No, I was we were talking about we were talking about them and uh see there were so many so many detectives that throughout the years that came and gone and retired and everything. And what happened was my sister had a bank account with some money in it and I was going it, it was in the newspaper, it was unclaimed funds. It was in uh my sister's name and I was claiming it for her daughter. And through that conversation, when they when they got went to her, got her purse out of the evidence room to find out what bank it was, um, we got the name of the bank and everything. And somehow the question about the pictures came up, and I forget what who was on the detective at the time. They were going through stuff, and they said, "We don't have any pictures. I don't know what you're talking about." That's how I found out. Uh, your heart must have just sunk. I mean, your heart must have just sunk, Ollie. Uh, you must yeah, have been really ticked you know, off, too. I was, I was furious. I yeah. mean, I've I, I organized searches. I, me and my wife, and uh, I, I put, you know, people donated food and everything. We, we did searches for weeks on ends. Uh, Paul would never come out and help. Nobody from his family would come out and help. Uh, I mean... I did uh, a three-page article in a local newspaper. I went off on the on the prosecutors and and, and everything. I mean, they, they did a full I mean, full spread out three-page article in the newspaper about me blasting them, uh, right? Saying talking about corruption and everything, right? But this is if the listeners think this is as bad as it can get, it gets worse. Uh, Tell the listeners about the case file for your sister. That was, uh... It 
was much later. This was like 2000-something, right? This was like, two, two, yeah, it was like from 99 or 2000. Uh, I had gotten a phone call from somebody who worked within the uh, building of the police department. And uh, I want to say it was around 9, 9 o'clock at night. And I got a phone call, and the person told me, you need to get down to the police station before uh, the garbage collection comes at midnight. Your sister's case files are in the are in the garbage. And I was like, what? Who is this? And they said, you don't need to know. Don't worry about it. Get down there and get them. So I called a buddy of mine, and uh, we went down, and we jumped in the dumpster, and we are digging and digging and digging. And sure enough, we finally get towards the bottom of the dumpster, and we find boxes and boxes and boxes of my sister's files. At that time, I called the news media. I had news media out there and everything. I mean, it was just—I mean, I was like in total disarray. I, I couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing. And then all of a sudden, the head detective and a couple other detectives come down and everything. And they want me inside the building. I said, I'm not coming in without the news media. So I bring the news media in. And uh, we go inside, and they demand that I turn over the files and everything, or they're going to bring charges up on this. You know, we can bring charges on you for, for theft and so on and so forth. And to make a long story short, they, they wound up getting the files back. Well, yeah, I suppose you eventually did have to give them back, but the media was there. Now, let's just be clear. Were there any other case files in that garbage besides your sister's file? Yes, yes. There were. Okay, okay. Yeah, there were. Okay. But you're, how many other files would you say within 10, 50? No, there was, there was an abundance. Abundance? Yeah. Wow. Some from past cases that were either solved or... Or so on and so forth. I mean, there was. Just, I, I took everything out. Of the, I bet the you did. Not just mine. I took. I took as many as I could. Mainly, I, my main thing was to get all my sisters first. And then I grabbed sure. others to prove that you know, hey, this was an improper way of disposing of these things. And first of all, my sisters should have never even been in there. No, it's not solved. <laughs> and what you know, what, what, what happened was apparently from my from what, what they told me was they were building a new building. The janitor didn't know they were in this one room or whatever and just tossed everything. But whoever called me knew inside that her particular case was sitting in that dumpster at night, in the middle of the night. And if they didn't call me, they would have. The uh, garbage collectors would have came picked that dumpster up and who knows what would have happened since then. Sure. Now, you're, you've been in law enforcement your whole entire adult life. Just an overview, real quickly. What do you think was going on there? I mean, we have pictures lost. We have the cops taking orders from an assistant coroner whose you know, family is involved in the case. You have all this. What was going on there? I mean, you've had a lot of time to think about this. What do you think was going on? Well, uh, there's a, a, a lot going on Um I, I, my main my main job was General Motors. I, I worked General Motors. The law, law, law enforcement I, I, I did on the side. That was just something I, you know, wanted to yes. so just clarify that. Just make that clear. You know, I just want to Sure, okay. That. For the record. Um, Very good. Yeah, just yeah, just for the record. Um, 
my opinion, I think that there has been a lot of, I'm just going to come straight out and say it. I mean, I'm not going to be around the bush. In my opinion, I think, I think there's been some corruption involved. Uh, I can't prove it, but everything that I've seen and done for the last 22 years has just given me a gut feeling that there's something going on bigger than what I'm being told or, or what, what what's being told to me. Right. I, I, I have to agree with you, Ali. I have to agree with you. And, and did you... Did you obviously you're working you're working for General Motors, but you were part time policeman. Did you know some of these cops personally? Had you worked with some of them on other things over the years? I, I, yeah, I know personally. I mean, I I mean, to this day, 22 years later, I'm still working with the with the detectives on my case when they mm. answer my phone calls anymore. Last sure. few years, I can't even get them to answer a phone call for me. But uh, from day one, I mean, I worked hand in hand. Uh, 24-7 practically, you know, for 22 years uh, on my sister's case. To this day, I still Sure, uh, of course you are. So I, I still get people calling me, giving, talking to me, telling me, you know, hey, we're trying to trying to make a, a report, and Gerard's not, the uh, local police department's not doing this, they're not doing that. I'm calling them, I'm going down there arguing with them, saying, listen, I got this person calling me, I got this person texting me, I got this person getting in touch with me. Uh, what's going on? Oh, we'll set something up, set something up, and you know, we'll go through and everything, and I, I wind up getting nothing. Do you think that uh, the Paul's father, who had a prominent position within the county, do you think he could have been pushing some buttons behind the scenes, making, asking somebody, hey, could you make those pictures disappear, or, or do you think he's totally disconnected from that? Um... <clears throat> Just a gut. I know you have no proof of this one way or there. Just a just a gut feeling. I have no proof, but my gut feeling is that I said from day one that his father had some type of connection going on somewhere. Okay. Okay. Very well. Um, so Paul was gone for like three months. He comes back. You to this day still don't know uh, where he was. What does he do? What has Paul been doing for the last twenty-two years? What did he say when he got back? And what has he been doing? Just a general overview. When, 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 when Paul got back, uh, they took him to court, and uh, they tried to get him for interfering with a police investigation and uh, a couple other things. And uh, Paul's attorney had him plead the fifth. He pleaded the fifth, walked out of the courtroom, and uh, never stepped back in the courtroom on, on my sister's case again. Never. Throughout the years, Paul has racked up. I couldn't tell you hundreds Many. Of, 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 I mean, hundreds and hundreds of uh, tr trouble with the police, uh, from felonies to misdemeanors to you name it, drugs. He's been in and out of jail, in and out of prison, supposedly got spiritually married to this other woman. They did uh, almost $2 million embezzlement out of the dialysis mm -hmm. uh, company. She winds up in jail for 25-plus years. They told her she'll probably never see the light of day. Paul gets 15 months in prison, uh, gets out, um, goes on a bandwagon. Um, he does dr he's, he's a huge drug user now, isn't he? I mean, in fact, yeah, he, yeah. he is. 
the listeners should know, if you were to do a, search, a Google search for Paul Polis, P-O-L-L-I-S, you're going to find many, like, like Ali just said. You yourself, just Googling, are going to find a lot about this guy since the disappearance of Charlotte back in 1994. He hasn't led a very good life, has he? No, he hasn't, and he, he's constantly been in and out of trouble, like I said, with the law, um, from embezzlement to drugs to, I mean, you name mm-hmm. it, he's, he's, he's been in, in and out. He actually went to uh, uh, chief of police's house, uh, brandishing a handgun, demanding know where his wife was. They bring him up on charges. He got a couple months in jail, basically a slap on the wrist. Um Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, the guy, he's, he's been a mess. He, they, he, he's built himself to be above the law. In his mind, in, my, in Paul's mind, he's above the law, and he got away with, with murder, and they're never going to catch mm-hmm. him on it. What, what has gone on with Charlotte and Paul's children? Who have they been raised by? How are they doing? Daughter was raised by my parents, my mother and father. Uh, she's doing she's doing very well. Great. Um, she's, she's she's doing fantastic. The son was raised by um, Paul's mom and dad. Uh, I really never I I, I met the kid. Uh, I want to say maybe twice since my sisters came up missing, and that was one at my uh, niece's graduation party. And one other time I met him somewhere, I remember if it was the mall or somewhere. Uh, he really doesn't talk to you. He, 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 uh, he, the cat doesn't like me. Hey, my, right. my nephew, but of course, you know, mm-hmm. how they were raised and what they were told. Uh, the apple didn't fall, fall, fall far from the tree, I can say that. The, do the daughter and the son have any interaction, or are they estranged as well? They did uh, for, for quite a few years. Years last last couple of years, but now it's uh, starting to become a strain. Okay. Uh, she she wants nothing, has nothing to do with uh, the entire whole side of the family. She had her last name changed because of how uh, well known this case is. That uh, it was better for her to go with a different last name, just so that. People weren't constantly saying, oh, you're so-and-so's mother, and what's going on? You know, it's, it was too much for her. Yeah, I can understand that. Let's go back and, and just to cover one thing real quickly. That time that Paul says that he was out with his kids when Charlotte disappeared, is there any proof that he was telling the truth, that he went to a scrapyard, he went to a pharmacy? What do you know about that time frame? Or there, is there any video proof or anything that he was actually out that day? No, um, I had asked back then. I had asked the chief of police uh, about Paul's alibi and what he said he was doing everything. And the chief of police said, "You know what? You have my permission to go and check it out." The scrapyard he was at closed on Sundays. The laundry mat he was at, unbeknownst to him, when he ran the comforter in there and had it washed. He ran to the clerk and told her, whatever you do, don't let anybody touch that washer. I have to run do some errands. I got the kids in my car. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't know that was my wife's aunt. There were no kids in the car. He claims he went to Giant Eagle to get her prescriptions filled. I went to 
Brian Eagle, checked with them, told them the scenario. They said he ran in here because he had kids in the car. He dropped off prescriptions, and he ran out and never came back for them. Interesting. Very interesting. So, you know, there's a bunch of holes in, in the alibi that he was given. It certainly sounds like it. And he said he was out looking at houses. Was that news to you that Charlotte and Paul were looking to move? Was that news to you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, because she was a stay-at-home mom, and he didn't work. And here's another interesting thing. He mm-hmm. was going to college at the time. He was going to college at the time. When he, for, for engineering, I think it was, when Charlotte came up missing, he had faxed a letter to the college dropping out, and then shortly after Charlotte came up missing, I want to say it was like a, within a month or so, they kept saying, oh, give her time, she's going to come back home, she'll come back home, so on and so forth. Um, within about a month after she came up missing, Paul was having a yard sale, and everything that my sister owned, purses, shoes, clothes, you name it, he sold them. Hmm. He sold everything. Was this after he got um, back from being away from those three months, or did his parents handle that? Yes. Or? No, he, it was when he came back. And when he, yeah, came, he back. came back. From, from being in seclusion because people were gawking at him and driving past the house and supposedly bothering him the whole nine yards. And here's another here's another point, too. The day Shola came up missing, a neighbor stated that he had her car backed up to the front porch. All the doors in the car were open. There were no children in the car, and he was loading something heavy into the trunk. And when she drove by... She said he, he locked eyes with her, and she said the look he gave her was so frightening that she turned around and went back and got her husband, I believe, at the time. Wow. Okay, I w- we're going to come back to that in a second, but I do want to touch upon one other thing. that You managed to get this, your, your sister's case, covered on Unsolved Mysteries in like 1995, 1996. How did that come about? How did that come about? I had contacted, uh, I was always in a maze that all these national television shows and news medias and and Nightline, everything were doing stories on people, and I couldn't get nobody to do nothing for me on my sister's case. Nobody. Montel Williams Show, Oprah Winfrey, CNN, Mm -hmm. Nightline, NBC, nothing. So I had contacted a congressman. His name was uh, Congressman Jim Trafton. Everybody knew him as Beam Me Up Scott. I've heard of him. I know him well, yes. Yes. That, he, was, he, was, he was my number one man. I love that guy to this day. I called his office, and I set up a meeting with him, and he was so intrigued with my sister's case that he actually, I still have the letter in my, in my briefcase. He had wrote a letter to Unsolved Mysteries telling them that he wanted them do a story on my sister's case. Mm-hmm. After he, he sent me a uh, carbon copy of the letter, and he sent it to Unsolved Mysteries. After Unsolved Mysteries got the letter, they had contacted me, told me that they got a letter from my congressman <clears throat> and the story, and uh, they were willing to, to take the, and do the story. So they, they had come into town at the time. Robert Stack was still alive. Yes. And they had came into came in town, met with the family, did interviews and everything, and they found a location in Cleveland that had the identical house, the setups, it was identical, 
they filmed it up in Cleveland. But if it wasn't for Jim Trafficking, it would have never been on 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 uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And here's another thing: <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize, uh, Congressman Jim Trafficking had a Sunday talk show on Sunday mornings, uh, live with Jim Trafficking. He actually dedicated his show to my sister's story. Wow. And then he came and he came up with a number, and I'll never forget the number was. And he would talk about my sister's case and says, if anybody has any relevant information or knows anything about this case, I am creating a 1-800 phone number. Your identity will be safe. You will have no, no, you will give, be given a number and no, nobody will know who's calling in the tips or anything. And it's called 1-800-HAWK-NOW. That number is no longer available now. Now they they since use it for I think uh, they use it for drug uh, turn people on for drugs and stuff like mm. that now. But that's how that's how dedicated that the Jim Trafficking was to my sister's uh, case, Congressman Jim Trafficking. You you don't find too many politicians who uh, act so quickly like uh, Representative Trafficking did in that case, do you? No, you don't. Uh, I've I've contacted our local. Uh, congressman and i can't couldn't get him to budge on it i talked to one of his assistants he said he would check into it this was year, years years ago and uh he got back with me and he said hey i just told you know my own business and back off he goes, i don't know what to tell you mm-hmm. i thought he said enough now I know we don't want to go too too deep in this because we've talked about this this is uh, some right. other information but your, you and your wife have actually been threatened over this case. We just want to leave it at this. You've actually been threatened because of this case, haven't you? Yes. Okay. We don't want to, I know that we've already talked. We don't want to go because it's very personal information. But when you sometimes bring this up, you've had some problems with it, maybe because of the police making mistakes and maybe because of the connection that Paul's father had in the county and whatever, but you've had some problems, right? I've had, I have some issues. Yeah, we've had, we've had some issues. And, uh, like I said, you know, uh, you gotta deal with what you gotta deal with. Right. Right. And we don't, we're not going to get into that uh, on this because that is off the record stuff that I don't want to get into personal stuff, but for the record there has, it's been very touchy for Ali and his family regarding this case because of it being so connected to, uh, you know, some police mistakes and, and Paul's father being uh, an assistant coroner at least at one time. I'm going to ask you straight out, Ollie, because I do this to all of my guests. What do you think happened to your sister? I think my sister was murdered and it was uh, uh, a lot of hands involved in covering it up. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. Okay. Uh, you of course think that Paul had something to do with it, but once again, I need you. You don't have to answer, but I'm going to ask: Do you think that his father might have had something to do with it? I believe wholeheartedly that uh, Paul, his father, and to an extent, I believe his mother and brother were both involved in, in the cover-up or whatever took place. Took 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 part. Uh, took part in this in this uh, murder. Okay. Uh, one more thing that I don't think that we have covered, just to add on top of that, the, the children were asked, of course the 15-month-old probably is not going to be able to say much, but the 3-year-old was asked 
by the police or had made a had made a statement maybe to somebody in your family, maybe it wasn't the police. What did the three year old say about Charlotte, the mother? Her mother. She said, uh, and at the very beginning, and she's stuck to her story to this day that uh, Daddy and Grandpa hurt Mommy and put her in a black garbage can, a garbage bag. That's what the three year old said. Who who did? Is is that the daughter? That's the oldest one. The the three year old. And who did she say this to? She said it to everybody, including the police. Wow. To my mother, my father, me, my wife, uh, to the police department, and, you know, the detectives in charge at the time and everything. Uh, that's what she told them. Ali, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to say about your uh, sister's disappearance? I'm hoping the listeners can help you out in some way, but what would you like to say, tell them uh, as we sign off on this interview? The only thing I would like to say is this. I know deep down in my heart, and I've said it from day one, I will move heaven and earth or whatever it takes to find and bring uh, peace to my sister's case. I know out, out there is somebody who knows what happened to my sister I know that they may be afraid of this guy and have a fear of coming forward, but they have a civic duty. They can remain anonymous. If they know anything about this case, they need to come forward and let the authorities know if they know anything, what they know happened on March 12, 1994. I do believe somebody out there knows what happened. I, I do wholeheartedly believe that Paul has ran his mouth to other people about what he got away with, and I would just hope that their conscience would eat at them and they would come forward and say, listen, I can't take this no more. This is what I know. I'm willing to give you uh, a statement on it. Ali, I hope you're right. I hope it's one of my listeners or they start talking to people. That's why this show exists to start people discussing cases like your sisters. Ali, I deeply appreciate you talking to me and, and thank you for appearing on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. I appreciate it very much and uh, God bless you and all your listeners. That's very kind. Thank you. And that was my interview with Ali Neji, brother of Charlotte Polis. I've really enjoyed getting to know Ali. I think I have a kind of kinship with him for the reason that he lives in Ohio, not very far from where my sister lives in Ohio. And so when he talks about working for General Motors at one time, my sister's husband worked for General Motors. And I'm planning, I hope, I'm hoping to, when I go up to see my parents in Pennsylvania this coming summer, something that I do every year, I hope that I can make it over, of course, to see my sister and maybe I can intertwine that with meeting Ali and his wife, getting together with them for lunch or something. I, I think I'd really enjoy that. I also need to thank a listener of mine, Ray, a woman, R-A-E, who alerted me to this case, the disappearance of Charlotte Polis, and put me in contact with Ali. I cannot thank her enough. As for the case itself, and this is something that's my fault, not Ali's fault, we didn't quite get into what the motive might have been, but Ali and I had talked about that in prior conversations. It should be known that uh, 
during a search that Ali's family conducted in the house, I'm not sure exactly when it was. I'm guessing it was at some point while Paul was out there being gone for those three months. They had found divorce papers in their residence. And I think that that would probably be a a good motive if, in fact, Paul did something to Charlotte that that might have been the reason that he did that. So we didn't get to that in the interview. Once again, that is my fault, not Ali's fault. We also kind of glossed over, you'll, you'll remember that Ali mentioned that Paul, at some point during that day that Charlotte disappeared, that he went to a laundromat. What we kind of glossed over was that the person working at the laundromat noticed that this quilt or blankets, whatever he had brought in there that day, was covered in something that was dark red. Of course, the suspicion is that it's probably Charlotte's blood, and that's the reason that particular blanket was brought to the laundromat that day. That's something that we kind of glossed over. Uh, Ollie, I believe, had said that uh, he went to the that Paul went to the laundromat and then told the person working there, "Hey, don't let anybody touch this machine." Well, we didn't quite get into what the person working there saw on that blanket. As for where this case can go from here, I think there are a couple actually pretty decent choices if Ollie and his family want to pursue them. One, it should be known that even though there's the suspicion that possibly Paul's parents helped him with whatever happened to Charlotte, they are now not close at all. In fact, my understanding is that Paul's parents have a restraining order against him because of all of these problems that he has had in his life since Charlotte disappeared. Is there a possibility there? May the parents come forward? Could they be cajoled? Could they be convinced that it's time to come forward and tell what they know about Charlotte's disappearance? Maybe they're ready to talk after all these years, especially since they don't seem to get along with their son anymore. The other possibility, and we just touched upon this during the interview as well, is that you heard that Paul and his second wife, or was she a girlfriend, they got into an embezzlement scheme, and she went to jail, and I guess he went to jail for a very short time and and got put out on probation. I think this happened not quite 10 years ago, but they had embezzled quite a bit of money in the millions from a company, I think a medical company that she was working for. Well, she's going to be in 20 for 25 years, meaning she's not even halfway through her time in jail. Now, she'll probably get out early. I don't know if she's going to be in for the total 25 years. Maybe she'll get out in 20 years or 18 years, but If she's going to be in there the whole time, she hasn't even been in there for half of it yet. And maybe this would be a good time for Ollie and his family to, if she has a lawyer, go talk to him and say, maybe give her a break if she knows anything about the disappearance of Paul's former wife, Charlotte. Because I happen to believe in cases like this that People can rarely keep their mouth shut, and the person most likely uh, 
somebody a criminal is going to talk to is a spouse, a girlfriend, somebody that person can confide in. And I can tell you, and in fact, I was just having this conversation with a listener or a future guest, I believe, somebody who's going to be a, a guest on a future episode of Unfound, that the jails and prisons in the United States are full of guys who did something, confided in their girlfriend or wife, and then somewhere down the road when maybe he cheated on her or something, the girlfriend or the wife went to the police and say, oh, and oh yeah, he told me about this thing he did. You know that unsolved crime you have from a couple years ago? Yeah, he told me he did it. The jails and prisons in the United States are full of guys who have talked and then lived to regret it. And maybe this is uh, a case kind of the opposite, where you have a woman in jail who probably wants to get out, and maybe if you give her a deal, she's going to get out early, she can maybe reveal some uh, information, maybe some leads that the police can use that can be verified, that can get her out of jail early. That's another way maybe that Ollie and his family might approach this case and Charlotte's disappearance all these years later. Regarding the police in this case, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know. Uh, I want to believe that it's just a police department that just makes a lot of mistakes. I don't know what kind of reputation the Girard, Ohio Police Department has. I don't know what it was back then. I don't know what it is now. But they sure do seem shaky, Tossing case files out, I know what the explanation was. Well, janitor did it. Well, how did the janitor even get close to the case files in the first place? I mean, if that was actually what happened, janitor shouldn't be anywhere close to the case files anyway. As far as the pictures being lost, both the ones of Paul and the ones that Ollie took of certain parts of the house, you want to just... Explain that is just mistakes, but it's kind of hard to. I can't help but think that maybe Paul's dad had something to do with it. Not him personally causing those photos to be disposed of, but maybe he knew a guy who knew a guy who could make that happen. Just saying, hey, come on, we all know Paul didn't do this. You can get rid of that evidence. It's nothing. It wouldn't be the first time that a father tried to pull his, some strings for his criminal son. I guess I can leave that up to you as to what you think was going on there. Was it just an accident that these things happened, or was there something more sinister at play? What do I think happened? I happen to believe that Paul had something to do with his wife's disappearance. If I had to guess, I'd say that he saw her ear infection as a way to get her to disappear. He probably figured, well, she has an ear infection. She's going to be laid up for a couple days. She wants to divorce me. And so nobody's going to miss her if nobody hears from her for a couple days. So this is the perfect time to do what I've been wanting to do for a while. And I'll have 12 hours, 24 hours to make everything right before the police, Charlotte's family, gets involved. But as with every case on Unfound, I leave it up to you. What do you think happened? 
what do you think you would find if you yourself looked into this disappearance? Is there something that maybe I missed? Is there something that you heard in the interview that needs to be explored more? If so, I'd like to hear about it. I think that would be very interesting to me. Maybe you knew Charlotte. Maybe there's a listener out there who knew Charlotte herself and maybe suspects that she, yes, she did want to get away from her husband because he was into drugs and he wasn't a very good husband and he was a bum and everything else. I guess that's possible. If there's any news like that, any evidence out there like that, I'd love to talk to somebody about it. I'd love to see it. And that brings to a close another episode of Unfound. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like Unfound, I'd urge you to go to iTunes and give the show a nice review. I know it's not easy. There's one set of directions for the iPad. There's another set of directions on your computer. There's another set of directions if you have an iPhone. I know it's not easy, but if you could make the effort, I would deeply appreciate it. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.